last night, Bar and I actually sat down and had a meal with two chiefs last night. I mean, it just fell in our lap. So God's just doing something. And then Sequoia's coming Wednesday night. We were, we had uh, Allison Musing, who has a, who is in our church now, ministry with reconciliation with Native Americans. Because as you know, there's been great injustices done with the um, indigenous people of this nation, the original people. And probably there's a lot of messed up things in our nation due to that. There was innocent bloodshed on this land many, many years ago through our government. So uh, Bob Jones has told us that probably Native Americans are key to revival in our land. So last night, Byron and I actually had dinner with, um, with the chief. It was Chief Big Pond, who's been here before, of the Uchi tribe. And we were also with the chief of the Catawba tribe, which is local to us. It, we just couldn't believe it. There we were. And it was just awesome. I have native blood in me, and probably many of you do. How many of you do? Raise your hand. Oh, yeah. See, there's many with native blood. And so, um, so come Wednesday night. I believe the Lord, for some reason, is just putting this in our lap, and we need to respond. So I wanted to let you know about that. So. Yeah, those guys really have a whole different perspective than we do spiritually and uh, I sort of like their perspective really They're, the spiritual world to them is just normal I mean they don't make a deal over it so uh, we were really blessed and uh, we've heard Sequoia speak and I think he was the first guy I heard speak who really gave a message on, on honor that I felt like was a, a real lived out message in other words he was not preaching from from his mind, but he was preaching from his life and the power of honor. And I remember that was like the first time I really began to really hear in my heart how important honor is to the Lord. And the, the uh, American Indians, I mean, probably all Native people really understand that concept of honor uh, and how important it is to be honoring people. And, in the, you know, one thing that was interesting last night, even with the Catawba chief, he was going through all the injustices, but one thing he kept bringing back is how to honor even our government, how to, to be honoring people and not dishonor other people and, how, and, and having a heart to serve other people. So I think those, those people have something to impart to us. I really do. So amen. Everybody's good. All right. So I wanted to talk to you today about probably one of my most favorite subjects is, is the mind. Okay? And, um, because the mind really is the doorway into the supernatural realm. You know, I think you've heard us talk a lot about the mind here and we pray for lots of people's minds and seeing God touch minds in significant ways but the mind of course is is the mind is, is wonderful intelligence is wonderful God has given mankind the gift of intelligence and uh, but the mind is meant to be a servant it's it's a wonderful servant but it's a terrible master and that's the thing that we have learned or learning how to bring our mind in, under subjection, unto subjection to the spirit man in us. And as we are learning how to do that, we are realizing that the mindset on things above and not things like that is how we begin to connect with the supernatural world. And that's how our mind is renewed. So God's very interested in us walking in a renewed mind, in the renewed mind of Christ. And it's a... And it's for me, it's been a process. It's been a journey into that. 
And the further I go with it, the more I be, realize that the, the, the importance of having a renewed mind, the, the importance of walking in this on a regular, on a daily basis, and it is a gift from heaven. It's a gift from God that every Christian should have. The Bible says, set your, things, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. Uh, another scripture that comes to my mind right now is it says, uh, he's, He whose mind is stayed upon the Lord, he will keep in perfect peace. He whose mind is stayed. See, Paul even says in Romans that we serve God with our mind. That's an interesting concept, but that's actually right out of Romans 7. We serve God with our mind. In other words, it begins here. It begins right here in our minds is how we begin to walk out our Christian life. It has to be walked. And it, and it is done in the sense that this becomes subjected to this this here. And as you subject yourself there, you can begin to experience the supernatural realm. You know, and that's how we begin to see into the Spirit. That's how we begin to experience and, and begin to feel things here that God has given all of us five senses in the natural, right? You got your eyes, ears, and your mouth, etc. Touch. And, and we don't have to learn how to use those five senses. Uh, maybe a little baby has to learn what hot means and stuff like that, but we naturally. You know, if you, if you can see, you can open your eyes in the morning and you see. But spiritually, you have also the ability to see with the eyes of your heart. Okay? But it's not like waking up in the morning and opening the eyes of your heart and suddenly seeing. Okay? You, it's something, there's a, it's a, there's a purple, purposefulness in us that we have to choose that and purpose that in our life. And I have to tell you, I found in my life that the more I choose it, the more I pursue it, the more I see, the more I hear into the Spirit. So that's what I want to talk to you a little about how this can practically help us in our lives. Because we need some practical help right now. Okay, we need real practical help. And I wanted to read, I'm going to read some scriptures out of the Old Testament uh, that God's been talking to me about for a while. Uh, and I just wanted to just kind of present this um, to you. I wanted to talk to you out of the book of Esther. Okay, most people in this room know the book of Esther. I just, I'm, not, I'm going to share a few verses, but I'll just sort of tell you the story. The book of Esther begins uh, is the Persian Empire, and it was a party, a big party. The king, the Persian king was throwing a big party, and they had been drinking and laughing and drinking and having a party for several weeks, months, actually. <laughs> and um, they, were so, they, they were drunk, and they decided that they wanted the queen, Vashti, they wanted to see her. She was a beautiful woman. And the king wanted to show her off to all his noblemen. All his buddies were there. They were drunk, and he wanted to show off how good-looking a wife he had. And so he calls her forth to come out, and she just flat won't do it. She refuses to come and, get, and refuses to be paraded around in front of a bunch of drunks because she was a queen, and she felt like she needed to be honored and not treated as an object. Okay, well, it cost her dearly to do that because but, but they weren't going to have that. This was a very much of a, a dark, male-dominated society dominated by vicious people. These, these guys were not people you mess with. If you told them no, they were going to come after you. And so they basically went after her and took her out, removed her from being the queen because one of their concerns was if she does it, all our wives are going to rebel against us. So we can't have that. We can't have somebody standing up to the men. So that's basically what, that's how the story began. And really it was an injustice, if there was ever an injustice towards that woman. However, God was behind it. Because God, knowing the future, saw a day coming when there was going to be an evil plot that would rise against His people. And He knew Vashti did not have a heart for the people of God. 
So God allowed man to do something, make decisions and choices that would set up for God to put a person in there as queen who would have a heart for his people. And so that's sort of the, the big picture of, of it. You've got to look at it from that perspective. So what happened was is, is they took her out, and then so they wanted to find a new queen. So they sent people out into the land to look at all the women. I guess they went out in the marketplace and, and different places to look at the women. I mean, this is a huge kingdom, like 127 countries, okay? Uh, and they began to gather these women. I guess they began to gather their names and addresses, Okay, and this is where our girl Esther comes into the scene. One day, there's this knock on this door, okay, and it was some people coming to get this young lady named Esther. Now, according to um, people who know stuff, you know, I don't know who these people are, but they say they know stuff. They believe Esther was probably around 14 years old when this happened, okay? Now, let me read here just to kind of give you a little, little thing on Esther. It's in Esther 2, 5 through 8. Uh, Now there was at the citadel, which was the capital, in Susa, a Jew whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, a Benjaminite, who had been taken into exile from Jerusalem with the captives who had been exiled with Jeconiah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had exiled. Have you ever just been amazed at all the detail the Bible has? It's all in there for a reason. It's, It's very interesting. He was bringing up Had, Hadassah. I guess that's how you say that. It's an ugly name, right? It's a bat. Huh? Hadassah. Okay, Hadassah. Y'all are so smart and cool. I'm telling you, y'all are. But guess what? They didn't call that no more, so it don't matter how smart and cool you were. <laughs> that is Esther. Don't you like that name better? I do. I can pronounce Esther. <laughs> Esther, his uncle's daughter. In other words, Mordecai was her cousin. Obviously, her cousin may be a few, few years older than her. But this is interesting, for she had no father or mother. This girl was an orphan. So here's this orphan. Lost her mom and dad. Possibly lost them, you know, in, the, in some of the wars that were fought. So here she is. She's stuck living with her cousin, which may was not a bad... He had a heart for her. He loved her. He took her in. Uh, but it says, now, the young lady was beautiful of form and face. Now, I want all the men in here to forget the first one, form. Don't even think that way. If your wife don't slap you, God may, okay? But that's what the Bible does say. So she was a very attractive person, woman, girl. What do you want to call it? Uh, and, uh, and when her mother had died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. So there, there she is, introduced to us, Esther. So she's this attractive young lady. Evidently, they pegged her. These men come to get her. Now, I want you to think about it for a minute. I want you to put your mind into where she was really at because this is not a Cinderella story. Okay, this is a very difficult story because I can imagine like any other 14-year-old girl, she had dreams of her own. She probably had dreams of marrying the Jewish guy down the road. You know, the star football player maybe on the Jewish football team. And having a home and having babies with this guy and, and raising a family and living her life like all her friends were going to do. But one day, these two guys show up at the door and, and say, you're coming with us. They didn't say, do you want to come with us? You're coming with us. They took her, and I promise you they took her against her will and against Mordecai's wills, but there was nothing they could do. Like I say, these were vicious people. And they took her and they took her 
along with hundreds of other women and took them to the king's palace. Okay, it says this in verse 8. And so, it, so it came about when the command and the decree of the king was heard that many young ladies were gathered to the citadel of Susa into the custody. Now, the word custody. Custody has this picture with it, right? Most of the time we think about custody is when somebody's locked up in jail, right? That's literally what was happening to them. They were being brought into custody of a king, into what we would call a harem, okay, with a bunch of women, uh, in the custody of Haggai, that Esther was taken to the king's palace into the custody of Haggai, who was in charge of the women, okay? So here she was, brought into this situation that she probably really didn't want to be in. Now, my imagination runs wild. Can you imagine being in a, let's just take a random number, a hundred women. There's a group of a hundred women, Okay, probably a lot of them were scared to death. A lot, probably a lot of them were, were, were a lot sharper and p- more political keen than the other and understood what was really happening to them. And so you can imagine all the battles that were going on. Have you ever... Honestly, this is one thing we learn about kids. When they're little, the girls are more difficult than the boys. Did y'all know that? They can really be rough, little girls can. I'm talking about rough with each other. So I can just imagine there was lots of cat fights going on. Lots of, you know, political maneuvering because all these girls spent a year being prepared to go before the king to see if they were selected to be the new queen. So you know some of them were really pushing hard in every way they could to become the queen because that was the, you know, that was the good thing in all this is to be able to be the queen, to be the number one lady. Um, But I don't think... It was a pleasant attitude. I don't believe it was a pleasant atmosphere. And the reason they kept them, did it for a year is, you know, it takes women a long time to get made up, right? Every man knows that it takes your wife about three times as, you know, they, get ready, they start getting ready an hour before you do, and you're still waiting 30 minutes on them to get done, right? So that's sort of a picture of it. Another thing is they wanted to make sure they weren't pregnant. Because the king didn't want a, woman, a girl that had been, been impregnated somewhere along the lines before they got their hands on them. Uh, so that was sort of a, it was not a good situation. It wasn't, was not a clean situation. So here's this young girl thrown into this situation. Okay. Now, while all this is going on, something else is happening. Okay. There was this other dude. Okay. Whose name was Haman. And Haman was a very wicked man, but he was a very powerful man. Okay. He was like the number two man in government. Okay. He had the king. And you then you had Haman, who was sort of like the number one guy. That the, you know, he'd be like the vice president of the United States, basically. Or maybe more like the, the head of the IRS in the United States, or the head of the Fed. I mean, those are the people with really all the power. Okay? But this guy had power, and he was very arrogant and full of himself, and demanded that people bow down to him. Okay? That's just the, his attitude. He, he demanded that everybody bow to him when he came by. And Mordecai refused to do it. Okay, Mordecai flat refused to bow to this guy. And he hated Mordecai over it and, and developed a plot to get Mordecai. Now, I think there's one thing that we need to start getting, okay, for us in our country. Our country is headed in the direction where one day the government may say to us, you cannot preach against this or preach for that. Okay, and we're going to have to make a decision. 
Just like Mordecai had a man. He refused to bow to the government, so to speak. We may come to a day in our lives in the United States of America, home of the free, that we are being asked to bow to something, and we're going to have to make a decision, and we're going to have to make a choice about whether we're going to bow to it or not. I really believe those times are coming. The good news is, if you study church history, the church has always prospered and flourished, and God has done mighty things when church came under intense persecution. I'm not asking for that. I would like to do one. Hey, can we do an, can we do an exception to the case, Lord? Can we prosper and flourish and be wonderful and viral without the persecution? I don't know. You know, it hadn't happened yet. Not really. Uh, but so here, here was this guy, Haman. He said, but, but he not only hated Mordecai, because Mordecai was a Jew, he decided, I'm not only going to go after Mordecai, I'm going after all of them. That was his, his thing. I'm going after every Jew. So he went to the king, and, and then the king, now notice this, the king had no clue that Esther, his queen, was a Jew. That was not even thinking in this guy's mind. Okay, so Haman went to the king, had a lot of influence, and convinced the king that Jews were awful people. And they did not deserve to live. He got the king to make a decree. And when the kings made decrees in that empire, those decrees were lost, and they had to, get, they had to be fulfilled. In fact, they were so powerful laws, the king couldn't even go back and amend the decree and rescind it. He couldn't even rescind his own decrees. Okay? That's how powerful this, this decree was. So the king made a decree that says on a certain day, all the Jews will be killed in his empire. All of them. Okay? So that's, that's the situation. All of them. Not just... And, and in the meantime, Haman, being such a jerk, he was going to get that one guy. He was going to hang him. So he built a big gallows. I think it was 50 feet high or something ridiculous thing. He was going to hang him high where everybody could see him, and, and Mordecai, or, and Mordecai be, would be hanging up there, and he would be justified and how wonderful he is. Well, one night, in the middle of all this, the king couldn't sleep. God sent a harassing angel to him. And he just could not, could not sleep, and, and finally he got up, got up out of bed, and you know how you get up sometimes and watch television. I don't know what y'all do. Some of you are spiritual. You pray. Some people read books. You know, some people surf the Internet. You know, it just depends, but... This guy has these people to read to him, to read what's been going on. And he, there was a story that was told to him that really, this was real stuff that happened, that Mordecai had previously had discovered a plot. These two guys were going to kill the king. And Mordecai had discovered it and uncovered it and saved the king's life. And the king thought, oh my gosh, what was done for Mordecai? And nothing. Well, we've got to honor this guy. So the next day he gets up. This is really bad. It's like rubbing salt into a guy's ego. Bad. The next day, the king gets up and calls Haman. And Haman's coming thinking, oh, my gosh, the king wants to see me. He wants to honor me and bless me. I mean, he was just so full of himself. Gets there, the king says, hey, you've got to go and bless and honor this guy Mordecai because he saved my life. Okay? That, was a, that really was bad because he had built the callows to kill this guy. So he was totally humiliated, which just did nothing but just cause his, his anger to just boil and just, his blood to boil and his hatred just to just blow up out of him. You know, it just, you know, it was like God was just really setting the scene. And it was a terrible scene. Okay? It was a terrible scene for the queen. So Mordecai went and sent his messenger to the queen to tell her, you've got to do something about this. Okay? Because you are the only person who's in a position 
that can get to the king and try to get the king to stop this madness or we're going to be killed. And I wanted to read that little part to you. It's in uh, Esther 4, 10 through 14. There's a point to all this, by the way. Okay, this is a great story. This is one of these kind of books. If, if you're bored in reading your Bible, every once in a while you get bored reading the Bible. Like, oh, this is boring. Go read the book of Esther or the book of Ruth or something. Those books, God gave these books to us to sort of invigorate a hunger for the Word. Because they're stories. They're wonderful stories. They're true stories. So they sent this guy, Hat Hatch. I don't know. How do you say that, uh, Ryan, since you're so good? <laughs> you don't know. <laughs> It's Hat Hatch, H-A-T-H-A-C-H. How else are you going to say it? <laughs> then Esther, he sent Hat Hatch. <laughs> sent this guy to Esther. Mordecai sent her. He was a messenger to talk to, to Esther and say, Esther, you've got to go talk to the king. You've got to deal with this. So Esther spoke to Hat Hatch and ordered him to, this is where her, was her response to Mordecai. All the king's servants... And the people of the king's providence know that for any man or woman who comes to the king, to the inner court, who is not summoned, he has but one law, that he, that he be put to death, unless the king holds out to him the golden scepter that he may live. In other words, this is, in those days, kings didn't want people around them. They had a selected people that they would allow to be around them. You couldn't just go and approach the king. And you definitely didn't want to go and approach the king in a bad mood, depressed or anything like that. You can find that out in the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah got afraid because he got caught in a moment when he was depressed before the king. And he realized it. He realized that moment that king could have had him killed because they just didn't, they didn't want nobody messing with them. So even Esther, the queen, she didn't, it's not like she, they were husband and wives living together and, 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 and living a life out together. She didn't seem to do it in 30 days, which she was probably happy to stay away from that vile, you know, dude. Because he was a bad dude. Okay? But here's this man, Mordecai, saying, you've got to go to him. And she was saying, you know what could happen? He could kill me if I go. I could literally lose my life over this. Uh, And so here's what happened. You know, she was put into a terrible situation. And being asked to do something, being asked to make a decision that was, it was like a no-win for her. Okay, she could either save herself and not go. That was no-win, right? I mean, how are you going to live with yourself? Or go and probably die, more than likely. I mean, God is going to put us in situations like that. I hate to say that, but He's going to put us in situations where... It's, it's a big disguise from God. He's inviting us into something. He's trying to get, bring us into something when he puts us into these situations. Okay, so um, she said she hadn't been summoned for 30 days, and they went and told uh, Mordecai her words. Uh, then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther. Notice he quit calling hat hat. She said, just them. See, he was having a hard time pronouncing something. <laughs> just tell them... <laughs> Do not imagine that you, in the king's palace, in the king's palace, can escape any more than all the Jews. Do not imagine that. Okay? For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise from the Jews from another place. Now, he's prophesying to her. Okay? God's going to deliver his people. And you, or but for you, but as for you, and your father's house will perish. 
Okay? And I think when he was saying that, he was talking about himself. I'm going down with you because that was, that was our father's house. It's just him. And, and who knows whether you have atta- not attained ro- royalty for such a time as this. Who knows? Uh, let's put that word up there. Let's put it up how the uh, Message Bible says that, verse 14. Uh, as you know, there's no grammar in the Hebrew language. There's no parentheses and colons. That was something other people invented. Okay? But I believe the message really captures this, okay, the way they place it. One, who knows? Okay? And maybe. There's this mystery that is introduced into her life. Okay, and so what I, here's, what I, here's what I want us to get this morning. God wants us to know something. There's probably only one thing, really, that we have assured of as Christians, and that is this. It's when we pass out of this life, we will pass into the arms of Christ. Okay? We know that's going to happen. We have an assurance of that. We have a guarantee from God on that. Okay? In fact, the Holy Spirit's part of that guarantee. That's what makes the Holy Spirit so wonderful. He's part of God's guarantee. Okay? But from this point, from here to the time we do that, we don't have any guarantees about our lives. We have zero guarantees. Zero. There's no guarantees. God birthed everybody into this world. God brought us all forth with a purpose and a plan for our lives. Okay? With an intending course for us to run. He created good works for us to walk in. But He did not guarantee any of us was going to do it. He didn't say, I guarantee you you're going to do this. I guarantee you you're going to fulfill your purpose. I guarantee you you're going to fulfill your calling. No, God did not do that. God left that in our hands. We have a lot of authority and influence on whether we live the life that we're supposed to live much more than what most people realize because God gives us these moments in our life, you know, this is what I think, what I call a destiny moment. Her destiny was hanging in the back. Her real destiny wasn't the being the queen. Her real destiny was to save the people of God. And her destiny was hanging in the balance based on the choices and the decisions she made at that moment. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying to you this morning? God, there's, God has given us the authority to make these choices for our lives. He's given us the ability to determine how our life is going to turn out. God is not going to do it for him. We don't automatically get it. As much as we cannot take scriptures and just speak them out and expect it to happen. It's not going to happen that way. Our lives are made up of choices and decisions that we make that determine the outcome of our life. Are y'all with me? And this is really what God was trying to say to her. Um, I remember this story of a man. He was a, he was a surgeon. Uh, he was like a plastic surgeon, I, I suppose. But one day he gets a call to go to the emergency room. And there was a little boy there who, I, between five and nine years old, I can't remember the exact age, but the little boy, his arm was severed in a farming accident. And he was called in to look at the child and see if he could possibly reattach the arm. Okay? And he did, and he looked at the child, and he believed he could do it. And he went back 
to us, you know, and as they took the child to get the child ready for surgery, he went back and went into the doctor books. I was telling everybody in the first service that people don't really realize that doctors have books that they use. When you go to a doctor, they sneak off somewhere and get on these books. They don't know all this stuff like you think they know. They really don't. That's why they call it practicing medicine. They're practicing on us. I mean, that is a, you, I'm telling you, Lenora, if she was here, she would agree that that's the truth. They practice medicine. They're practicing on us. They don't really know. Oh, let's try this. You know? <laughs> Anyways, well, this doctor was sitting in there in his room, in his office, looking at his books, you know, studying that part of the anatomy, trying to get in his mind exactly what all it was going to take to reattach this arm, and he felt the atmosphere in the room shift. He was a believer. He felt the atmosphere shift. And he was drawn to the wall in his room. And on the wall was all his degrees and diplomas and all of that stuff hanging on the wall. And the Lord spoke to him. And the Lord said, all of that is for this moment right now. All of that is for this moment. And he was successful. He reattached the little boy's arm and the little boy has a normal life with a little scar, a big scar on his arm. But it was that guy's destiny moment. He was, God had created him to do something. Being the doctor, being successful as a physician wasn't really it. It was all for that one, one little boy that God had said, this is your moment in time. This is why I did all this. And see, that's what it, way it was for Esther. Here she was. She was at this moment in her life. Okay? She was at this moment in her life, in her future, fulfilling everything that God had for her, depended on her making the choice. And see, that's really how it works for us, okay? God, our life is a succession of decision and choices that we make, okay? But every once in a while, there are those destiny moments. There are these moments that God brings us to, and they're like critical decisions that we make. And one of the things that I've found out in my life, this is one thing I have really found out, is, a, is about who I listen to. Because if you really go after the Lord and really go after the real thing, I'm not talking about all the religious stuff, and I'm not talking about all the church stuff, but I'm talking about if you do what Paul the Apostle, Jesus Christ, all the people in the Bible said, set your mind on things above, not on things there. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. If you really do that, the enemy is going to send good people people to you to try to throw you off that track. They're going to say stuff to you and try to discourage you about what you're doing with your life. It's the enemy. It's really the enemy. You have to be careful. I've had people tell me stuff, awful stuff to me. If I were to listen to them, I would, I don't know what I'd be doing. I'd be, be muddling around in the ground you know, like a chicken trying to live my Christian life like I did for so long. And it, what, these are not bad people. These are people that are near you that you listen to, that say stuff to you. You've got to be careful. That's why God doesn't give... He doesn't leave us without help in these areas. He, she, Esther had Mordecai. See, that's who you've got to find. You've got to find the Mordecais who are going to tell you the right thing, the truth, the real thing, not all this other stuff. Because, see, here's what happens to us in our mind. Our minds naturally drift away from the spirit realm. There's these little, little adjustments that we make in our mind about really going after God and really going after the things of the Spirit. You will make adjustments away from those things if you're not careful. 
That's just how we are. But the Bible clearly states that the natural mind is in opposition to the spirit. Okay, it is, that's what the Bible says. So when we begin to make those little adjustments, no, I don't want to be too radical, or people are going to think I'm crazy, you know, and all that kind of stuff, or, or you're just being too wild, or who do you think you are, you know, the, the list goes on of things people will say to you, or your own mind can say to you, if you listen to that, you're going to be, you're going to, you're, you'll pull yourself away from, from being who God really called you to be and making those choices. Okay, now... The Lord showed me two things. There's two, like these two tests that we come up against concerning our destiny and our, and our future. And one of them is fear. Everybody in this room is going to face the test of fear. Okay? Uh, you know, there's all kinds of tests of fear, but I know I've had to face a lot of that test. Uh, I can remember the last one I faced in the church here about something that was going on in the church. And I failed that test, honestly. I'll be honest with you. I succumbed to fear, and I wouldn't press out into something I knew God was telling me to do at that moment. And you know what, Lord? This is basically how it happened. I, I did that. I was right there, and God said to me, you missed it. Okay? You missed it. I said, oh, God, I missed it. I'm so sorry, Lord. He said, I forgive you. you know, I, you'll just get another chance. Okay? You're going to get another chance to do this. But it's not going to look the same, and you ain't going to be thinking about it. But you're going to get another chance where you've got to step out and you're going to be afraid. You're going to be afraid of what people think or you're going to be afraid of the consequences of what it's going to cost you. Okay? So you, everyone else is going to have to face it. I want to read out of the book of... Are y'all okay? I want to read out of the book of Gideon. Anybody know what book that is? The book of Gideon called the book of Judges. I want to read this, okay? Because he talks about the the... the the, these two tests. There's two tests, okay, that you're going to get. I guarantee you that she was facing the test of fear. That's what Esther was facing. Fear of what's going to happen to me if I go in to see him. Fear of what everybody's going to think of if I don't. You know, there was this fear factor she had to overcome. We're going to have to overcome this fear factor. Okay, um, let me read this if I can find it. I got a new Bible. Don't y'all love new Bibles? All the pages are still stuck together. That's what I tell people. Well, that's great you got a new Bible. And six months from now, if I look at you and that Bible still got those pages stuck together, I know something about you. You're not reading that Bible. <laughs> Anyways, this is what happened. You remember the story of Gideon? Uh, Gideon was this dude that was just uh, threshing wheat one day in a wine press, scared to death because the Midianites were just, just abusing Israel. They were abusing them. Uh, they, were, they would plant a field to feed their family, and they would trample the field or come take all the food. So he was hiding in a wine press, threshing his wheat, which you don't do wine, wine presses and threshing are not the way it works, but he was there, and the angel of the Lord showed up one day and spoke to him. That's really what we all need. We need a, the angel of the Lord to show up and speak to us, and he will. The Lord, Lord, the Lord himself or an angel will come and speak to you when you're in those moments in your life. And he said, mighty man of valor. You know, that's what he called him. And Gideon was like, who? What are you talking about, who? And the Lord's with you. And if the Lord's with us, why is all this happening? That's what he said. Why is this happening to us? If, if the Lord's with us. And I think we've all had that conversation, right? 
the, the point was this. God, Gideon had to make a decision to do something about it. Okay? That's why he was showing up. So when you, next time you get in that conversation, it ain't, it's not it's like the Lord saying, okay, I'm here to tell you what you need to do about the situation you're wondering where I'm at in. Because you're the one that's going to do something about it. Okay? That's contrary to a lot of people's philosophy and theology, but theirs, theirs is wrong. Anyway, so the, the Lord shows up. Gideon gets, gets, gets it, man. He gets it and develops a daggone army, man. Okay? He has this huge army, and he is going to go and get those Midianites and keep their rear ends. Throw them out of Israel and just, you know, put an end to this madness. And uh, he had about 22,000 people. No, he had more than that, actually. He had 30-something thousand. But it says in uh, Judges 7, The Lord said to Gideon, The people who are with you are too many for me to give Midian into their hands. For Israel would become boastful, saying, My own power have delivered me. See, he knew they were not really in a good place then. They were arrogant themselves. So God wasn't going to let them win this battle with all these people because they would think they did it. He said, Now therefore come and proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, Whoever is afraid and trembling, let him return and depart from Mount Gilead. Uh, so 22,000 people left him that day. They had 32,000 people, but 10,000 remained. So that's the first test. It's the test of fear. Okay, so everybody in this room, you are going to face a test of fear where you're going to have to make a decision when you're afraid. And you can make the decision to go home, you know, and hide, or you can make the decision, to, I'm scared to death, I don't feel good about this, but this is what I believe God wants, and I'm going to do it. <laughs> and I'm going to close my eyes and step in there, and whatever happens, happens. <laughs> but I made my decision, I'm going to do that. Fortunately for me, God gave me another chance after that. In fact, He's given me numerous chances. Because you always feel this thing, and you boy, I hate to do that, Lord, because that's, that could really be bad if you don't show up. But that's not the only test, and it is not the worst test. Okay? There was another test. And this is the test. If you really want to have godly fear about God putting you in a test, this is a test that you don't want to be in. It's the test that you didn't know you were being tested in. Okay? And that is where God wants to bring people. God is going to test us. Is testing people probably right now, and you don't even know you're in a test. And your future is being determined by it. Okay? And I'm going to tell you this. The only way you and I are ever going to know this, if we have the mind of Christ, if we've allowed God to renew our mind, if we've submitted ourselves to the Spirit of God and allowed this, allowed this, per, this thing here to become the, our servant and not rule us, Otherwise, you're going to get into the test and you're going to fail the test and you're not even going to know you were tested until it's all over with. Here it is right here. Okay? Then the Lord said to, to Gideon, The people are still too many. Bring This is verse 4. Bring them down to the water and I will test them for you there. I will test them for you. Okay? Therefore it shall be said that he of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, he shall go with you, but everyone of whom I say to you, this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. Okay, so here it is. Now here's the test. This is the craziest test in the world. It's the stupidest test in the world because you didn't know it. This is what drove me crazy for so long. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, You shall separate everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps. 
You know how a dog drinks water? He puts his face into the water and just, you know? I mean, how many times have you seen your dog do that? You ever seen a slow-motion picture of a dog drinking water? <laughs> their, curl, their tongue curls. It's pretty interesting. <laughs> Anyways, as well as everybody, as well as everyone who kneels to drink. So now the number of those who lap putting their hands to their mouth was 300 men, but all the rest kneeled to drink the water. So that was 9,700 people stuck their face in that water and failed that test. Now think about it. Everybody gets thirsty. That's something you do with your life. You drink water. Who cares how you drink it? Right? Big deal. I like to drink it out of a bottle. Or I like to drink it out of a glass. Or I take, you know, or I stick my head under the spigot and drink it. None of that really matters. And, there, and that was the point because people have said some of the stupidest things. I was reading one commentary. They said, well, the ones who stuck their face in the water, those were really not really men of war. Because they took their eyes off. The one who were kneeling and were looking around, which was ridiculous because the enemy was over four miles away then. So it had nothing to do with that. It was just the unknown test. That's what it was all about, the unknown test. This is why I know this. About week, three weeks ago, I was sitting in here worshiping the Lord, and the Lord, this is what the Lord said to me, Byron. I, I asked him, Lord, what's going on with the Holy Spirit River right now? He said, Byron, go up there and get down on one knee and put your hand in the river and pull some up into your mouth. Do it three times. I said, okay, I'm good with that. So I went and did it. And then I went and said, I said, what's all that about, about Lord? Uh, the book of Gideon. I said, what do you mean the book of Gideon? There's no such thing. I said, oh, you mean the book of, I'm telling God, you mean the book of Judges, the life of Gideon. God is saying, this is what he was saying, I'm bringing you into a test, and you're going to fail the test unless I tell you beforehand. He told me, he, he gave me the test and told me the answer. Do you see what I'm saying? God gave me the test, but he told me the answer. How would you like to have a test like that, a calculus test? Hey, you're going to have a test tomorrow. Oh, here's the answers. We call that cheating, right? But in God's economy, he don't call it cheating. He calls it, I want you to pass the test, so I'm going to give you the answer before you ever go into the test. The problem is, the problem is, if you and I have not allowed the Lord to renew our minds, if you and I have not set our minds on things above, we are not going to hear, better even hear God to hear the answers of the test. And we're going to go through the, but we're still going through the test. And we're going to fail the test. And then we'll find out later we failed the test. And we'll get to do it again and again and again and again and again and again. Our lives, our lives, we're going to get to determine what goes on with our lives. We're going to get to determine this. God's put it in our hands. He's given us a lot of authority and power over our lives. But we can't make, we can't use that authority unless we have the mind of Christ flowing in us. We, there's no way. So we have to set our minds on things above. We have to allow the heavenly realm to come into our mind. We have to. We don't have a choice. Because I believe, I believe that we're coming to a place in our nation much like Esther was. It was no Cinderella story. It was life or death. And we need to know when we get in those situations, what is God's answer for this situation? 
What's, what is God's answer? We need to know that. <laughs> I'm telling Becky, come on, because I'm done. Amen. Well, I was just, um, why don't we just stand up before the Lord right now and... You know, just based on all the messages that have been coming over the last few weeks, it just seems to me that the Lord is really just asking us the question. You know, are we going to be willing to go through these tests and respond right to Him? And I really feel like we're in preparation. I, I really, just like Esther was in preparation. And, um, and I feel like we're being prepared to be, um, to really be Esthers who are willing to make those decisions when they come. And, you know, if we've already been passing the test all along, when we get to the big ones, we're just going to really know what to do. And I feel like that right now. A lot of us are in trials. A lot of us are already, you know, having to really um, get with the Lord and get our attitudes about Him right because we don't see everything happening the way we want to see it happen. I mean, how many of you are in that right now? I mean, you're seeing God's not really coming through the way you thought he'd come through. You're going through a lot of difficult things, but you're having to humble yourself. In the middle of it, that's a test within itself. You know, and so I believe we're in preparation and that we really need to hear these messages that, Lord, give us the grace to pass these tests so we don't have to keep taking them. Lord, and, we, and I, just, I just pray right now for every heart every mind here today, Lord, that you would just give us grace, that you would give us hearts like Esther, Lord, to know the time that we're in, that, Lord, you would just, when that time comes, that we would really understand, Lord, what's at stake in our destinies and even for our nation and our cities and our calls, our children, even our children, Lord. What's at stake, Lord, that you would really help us Lord, see. Mm. Thank you, Lord.